Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious, then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Top 5 Horrifying and Creepy Unsolved Murders Murder is a sinister act no matter how you look at it. However, there are certain cases that stand out, not just because of the grisly circumstances involved, but more so because they remain unsolved. Here are five of the most horrifying and creepy unsolved murders. Number 5. The Black Doodler San Francisco was a different time in the 1970s, while today the gay lifestyle is more accepted, back then the men generally had to keep their sexuality a secret. From January 1974 to September of 1975, a deranged man was tied to 17 total attacks, 14 of which resulted in murders. Three victims survived their wounds, but they all refused to testify for fear of outing themselves to friends, family, and co-workers. Hence, the Black Doodler remains at large. As to why he was called the Black Doodler, his main M.O. was to frequent gay bars in the Bay Area and chat up guys and transvestites, 
which he would eventually offer to take home and sketch. And after that was over, he would stab them multiple times all over their bodies. Transvestites were mutilated a bit further and often had their throats slashed. Among the victims were Gerald Cavanaugh, who was believed to be the first victim, Joseph J. Stevens, who was a female impersonator and comedian, and Frederick Kappen, a former United States Navy nurse. Those who survived included a popular entertainer and diplomat, but as to their actual identities, those have been kept a secret. A potential suspect was arrested relating to the crimes. He was a formal mental patient who freely discussed the case with the police, but stopped short of admitting to the stabbings. Because the survivors never testified or would even identify him, the suspect was released. Experts believe the killer was a closeted homosexual who was so ashamed of himself and his natural desires that it drove him to kill those he had sexual relations with. His doodle serving as a creepy sort of frozen moment in time of the individuals who would be slain shortly after. Number 4. Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run In 1935, Kingsbury Run in Cleveland was mostly home to derelicts. It was here that two boys running home stumbled across a corpse of a young man. His legs were spread out, the arms and hands placed close to the sides of the torso, but the head and genitals had been removed. An initial search of the area uncovered another corpse, this time of an elderly man. But he was placed in the same position, with his head and genitals also missing. During the autopsy, it was determined the older gentleman had been dead for two weeks, while the younger male had been dead for roughly three days. The younger man's death was caused by decapitation, meaning he had been alive while the murderer hacked away at his head. An investigation was underway and soon more bodies were found, and the case became national news. Folks in Cleveland started calling the killer the Mad Butcher, and after that, Elliot Ness became involved in the investigation while serving as Cleveland's secretary chief. Ness was famous for cleaning up Chicago's mafia together with his untouchables. His involvement gave hope to the people of Cleveland. If anyone could track down this killer, it would be him. But unfortunately, the victim count just continued to grow. Even though the killer murdered both men and women, he mainly targeted drifters, homeless people, or those from the lower class. His method was to decapitate victims while they were alive before cutting them up post-mortem. He would remove the organs and burn their bodies using a chemical or accelerant. Investigators also believed he would kill his victims off-site, because dismembering them required privacy. Most of the heads were never recovered, making it likely that the killer kept them as trophies. Officially, the Mad Butcher killed 12 people, but some believe that count could be as high as 20. After years of investigation, no charges were ever filed on any suspect. Ness theorized that the Butcher must have had a house of his own and a car to transport the bodies with ease. He also must be a man of good strength and size based on the fact that he found a size 12 shoe print at one of the crime scenes. The killer might also have had a medical background, perhaps a surgeon, or a hunter or butcher. Ultimately, Ness had one suspect in mind and even went as far as to actually interview him in connection with the crimes. His name was Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, 
but he denied the claims and laughed off the accusation. Dr. Sweeney fit Ness's profile and even served in the medical unit during World War I, where he would perform amputations and patchings. He came from a prominent family, but they also had a history of psychiatric problems. No evidence could be found against him, and so he was never formally arrested. In the end, Sweeney committed himself to a mental institution, where he would send harassing postcards to Ness and his family members until the 50s. He later died in 1964, and to this day, no one has any information as to who actually was the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Number 3. The Oakland County Child Killer From 1976 to 1977, four children were abducted and subsequently murdered in Oakland County, Michigan by an individual dubbed the Oakland County Child Killer. The first victim was Jill Robinson, who had packed a bag and ran away from home on December 22, 1976. The day after, her bicycle was found abandoned behind a hobby store. Her body would turn up four days later along Interstate 75 on Big Beaver Road in full view of the Troy Police Station. She had been neatly dressed, still with her backpack on and laid out on a snowbank with a single gunshot wound to the face. 12-year-old Mark Stebbins was last seen leaving American Legion Hall on February 15th. His body was also found four days later, placed on a snowbank in a parking lot of an office building. He had been wearing the same clothes he disappeared in, had rope marks on his arms, and was sexually assaulted with a foreign object. The third victim, 10-year-old Christine Milich, was last spotted inside a 7-Eleven store purchasing a magazine on January 2, 1977. Nineteen days later, her body would be found on a rural road inside Franklin Village. She was neatly placed with her eyes closed, her hands on her chest and again on a snowbank. Her body was in full view of houses nearby, and it was determined that she had been killed by being smothered. The last victim was 11-year-old Timothy King, and he disappeared on March 16th after heading out to buy candy at a nearby store. He left using the rear exit, gone on a skateboard, and was never seen alive again. In a letter to the Detroit News, Marion King pleaded for a safe return so she could feed him his favorite meal, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Seven days after going missing, two teens spotted Timothy's body in a shallow ditch. Again, he was neatly placed, wearing the same clothes he was last seen wearing. His clothes had been pressed and washed in a skateboard placed beside him. Autopsy showed he was suffocated and sexually assaulted, the contents in his stomach showed that his final meal before being killed was that of fried chicken. The same food his mother told the news was his favorite. Other child abductions happened within the same period but were not linked to the Oakland County child killer. As for the killer's identity, there were several suspects that included the son of a General Motors executive and even John Wayne Gacy. However, no one was ever convicted for the crime. Recently, the case has been reopened with newer evidence coming to light. However, no suspects are currently being charged. Number 2. Axeman of New Orleans From May 1918 to October 1919, the streets of New Orleans became a hunting ground for one of the most bizarre killers to ever exist. His choice of weapon was an axe. 
known officially in the history books as the Axeman of New Orleans. He attacked 12 people in a single year, seven of which died from the brutality of the wounds. His targets were often women, but he would attack men too if they got in the way. The majority of his victims were Italian-Americans, and the first were Joseph and Catherine Maggio. On May 22, 1918, while the couple slept, the Axeman carved a hole through the door, slipped inside, and proceeded to hack away. Catherine was found slumped over her husband in bed. A razor was used to slit her neck, and the cut was so deep it nearly decapitated her. Meanwhile, Joseph was found still alive with a gash on his face and head that he eventually died from. Several more victims would turn up in the same way. At first, police thought the crimes were a form of extortion, but no missing valuables were ever reported. The murders would continue in this fashion with a short lull in the summer, and by March of 1919, the killer would attack the Cortamiglia family where police found a bloody axe left on the back porch of the home. Three days after this last attack, the local papers received an ominous letter from the Axeman himself. Part of the letter read, Now to be exact, at 12.15 on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night will get the axe. A lot of people still doubt the authenticity of the letter, But on March 19, 1919, the streets of New Orleans were flooded with jazz music. That night, the Axeman kept his promise and didn't kill anyone. There would be three more victims that year, happening in August, September, and October, before the Axeman officially vanished without a trace. To this day, no one has been arrested in relation to the murders, and still no one knows the true identity of the Axeman of New Orleans. Number 1. The Girl Scout Murders Forty miles from Tulsa, Oklahoma is Camp Scott. It was the first night at camp. The girls arrived, chose their bunkmates, and went to their respective tents after dinner because of the rain. Each tent could accommodate four girls, but inside Tent Kiowa, the last and most remote tent on the trail, there were only three. There were eight-year-old Lori Lee Farmer, Michelle Guse, who was nine, and 10-year-old Doris Miller. A little after midnight, camp counselor Carla Sue Willard heard some unusual sounds, so she took a flashlight and went outside to investigate. Each time she shone her light into the darkness, the sound would stop. Eventually, she dismissed it as just an animal and went back to sleep, and all through the night, the other girls in different tents would hear weird, guttural sounds outside, but no one knew what it was. The next morning, Carla woke up at 6 a.m. to head to the showers. She walked towards the area where she had heard the unusual noise from the night before and found three sleeping bags under a tree. She took a closer look and was horrified to find the dead body of Denise Miller. Inside, the other two bags had the bodies of Lori and Michelle. 
All three girls were beaten, and both Michelle and Lori were killed with heavy blows to the head. Meanwhile, Denise was also beaten, but she had died from strangulation. All three were sexually assaulted. When the crime scene was examined, it showed the girls were tied up using duct tape and rope prior to being beaten and raped. In a very scary twist, two months before camp was about to start, the counselors were on site training when one of their tents was ransacked. A handwritten note was left that said three campers would be murdered. Unfortunately, the note was dismissed as a prank and thrown away. Soon, suspects were traced and named. The most prominent was Gene Leroy Hart, an escaped felon. Crime scene materials found in a nearby cave were traced to Hart that connected him to the camp crime scene. After a 10-month manhunt, Hart was arrested and convicted, but was acquitted by a jury because they believed more than one person committed the crime. Hart was still sent to jail to serve the remainder of his time for a previous rape case, and within weeks of going back to prison, he died of a heart attack. Today, the case still remains a mystery. As for Camp Scott, it has been closed since the day after the murders and is now owned by a local citizen and kept private. So those were five of the most horrifying and creepy unsolved murders. Crimes of such an intense nature as these more often than not get solved. But the idea that these people got away with such horrifying acts is almost as scary as the murders themselves. Thanks for listening and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.